女士们、先生们。Now, fans of Shukhlistan, and welcome to day eight coverage of the Beijing 2022 Olympics on Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host Allison Brown. Allison, hello, Ni Hao. How are you, Ni Hao? There has been so much crying in the past 24 hours, <laughs> and it's not just me. <laughs> Lots of people, and not just me either. There's been a lot of crying in baseball in the past 24 hours. <laughs> you know, I think people are just so relieved. You know, I saw a lot of medalists crying, and of course, you're happy when you win a medal. But I think just the stress of the pandemic—it's just all like, I made it through. And I think we've hit that point in the games where It's really happening. We're gonna make it through. They're not gonna shut them down. We're not gonna all get sent home at the last second. And I think that's also starting to hit a lot of people. Like, wow, we're really here. This is all really happening.、Mm-hmm. And more and more spectators are being allowed into the games as well. So we're starting to see fans stands fill up. We're starting to hear cheering, a lot of cheering. And you, on the outside of the closed loop. Well, there's a little bit on the inside, but I think it's more on the outside that you can see is the frenzy over Bing Duan Duan, the panda, and how much people love him and are lining up and camping out to get their hands on him. And then I, because I, I was reading a story in I believe either New York Times or NPR, and they had pictures of people camping out at the big main pop-ups. Big superstore, and I was just like, "Oh, there's a big superstore that I cannot go to." And even though we have access to a store here in the main media center, and there's one out in Jianzhou, it's not the same. I mean, it's a small store. It's kind of like when you go to Disney World and you have the little gift shop in your hotel, but you don't have the Emporium. Exactly, exactly. I want the Emporium, but I, I will say that the. The post office line. The the post office is a little small setup pop up thing. There's always a line, and at the end of the day, there are just piles of boxes being ready, ready to be shipped. Bing Duan Duan making his way around the world, bringing bringing his paws of love everywhere he goes. <laughs> All right, let's get to what officiating our volunteer job would we want to do? What do you want to do today? So, since I seem to be obsessed with cleaning floors, <laughs> there are track sweepers who have these, you know, huge brooms. I assume they're at all the sliding. I saw them today at Skeleton, and they just go down and sweep. Interesting. They... Maybe they're training for curling. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm sure it's just, you know, any loose debris you don't want to get it into. But it's not special. It's not a special broom. It's just a big, wide floor b- broom. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the tools of the trade. I would like to be. I'm calling them on the carpet rolling team. When you have a, a panda ceremony on an ice sport, well, actually, it's it's in the short track and the figure skating venue for sure because、uh, speed skating's got the interior of the track is carpeted. So when you need to do the panda ceremony. You have to roll out a whole bunch of carpet so that nobody slips and falls. And by nobody, I mean a whole line of photographers too, <laughs> because they have to get on the ice to get good shots. So there are teams of people that have carpet on big rolls, and they roll it out and they roll it up. It's like if you watch baseball, and they have to pull the tarp out for a rain delay. It's it's somewhat similar to that, and I think it would be a lot of fun to be part of that team. And you know, I bet they need someone to vacuum that carpet so we could work together. <laughs> exactly. You know, speaking of vacuuming, when I came back to the media center tonight to tape the show, it was the magical hour of vacuuming, and I thought, oh boy, it's just getting started. What are we going to do? And then it stopped, and we had the magical hour of push broom sweeping. In and around us, here and there. I don't know if the big vacuum will be back, and I don't know if somebody has said, "Yo, can you guys keep it down?" But there's no vacuuming as of yet. 
which is also pretty magical. How is our fantasy league doing? Lots of action. So Raf Q is on top with 156. Monkey Cat is 152. Einerson has made a little push. He is back at 149. I am on at 17th, but more importantly, I'm beating my sister. And Jill, you are still hanging around at 44th. Because I don't remember if I've managed to change my league again. <laughs> and I don't know, depending on the bus schedule, I don't know if I will do it for tomorrow. Yeah, we'll get to this. On my league, I had Sean White and Ariana Fontana. And we're going to talk oh, about... Oh, yeah, so I had a couple of rough choices today. Boy, uh, in the follow-up file, I saw the medal ceremony for Skeleton and I saw the flag flick. Oh my goodness, is that cool? That is so cool. And they do all three flags together. Oh, please watch a medal ceremony if you haven't gotten it. It's re Never mind that there are lots of people crying, which we love. But the way the Chinese uh, are doing this is is quite beautiful. We had a question in the Facebook group from, I believe, listener Lori, who wondered about is if there are spectators at Medals Plaza and is it ticketed. I am going to go to an evening of medal ceremonies because they have like four back to back. And that will be Monday night because that's when they'll award the, well, A, that's when I have time. And B, that's when they'll award the speed skating, the women's 500 meters. So I'm hoping that there's a, a reason to go. We won't jinx it. No, because we'll I, I really do feel like a jinx right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think there's like four ceremonies that evening. So I'll just see them all and take it all in and report back. We have some updates on the Camila Valieva case. So we have uh, new information from Reuters and Carlos Groman and his team are on the case. They are really working this hard. So the sample testing that uh, Valieva took in at the end of December took so long to analyze because the Swedish lab that was analyzing them was backed up with COVID-19 cases. So that lab was confirming an initial result that came in. So Rusada has said it's initiated an investigation into her into Valieva's personnel and the team around her because she is a minor and wondering if somebody is doing something untowards on her team without her knowledge or consent. The ROC has Russian nope. The ROC has said her tests were negative before and after December 25. So I'm not sure I mean I'm not sure if this is something that stays in your system a long time. I'm not sure if this is the day she was actually competing. It was. It was during the Russian Nationals, okay. which is why uh, that particular date is is crucial. Okay. And then another interesting fact, USADA, the U.S. anti-doping agency, said it could prosecute the Russians involved in her case under the Rodchenkov Act if it turns out that this stands. So the Rodchenkov Act was signed into law in 2020 in America, and it empowers American prosecutors to seek fines of up to $1 million and jail terms of up to 10 years, even for non-Americans, if actions by them have affected American athletes' results. So this could get bigger and longer. What I find so incredibly frustrating about this case and why I lay this at the feet of the ROC and the Russian Figure Skating Federation is because there was an initial result of a positive test at the Russian Nationals in December. They knew this was broken. There was no reason to put Valieva in the team event. You have Trusova and Sherbakova who would have won the women's portions of the team event just like Valieva did. You cannot tell me that the Russian Federation was not looking to thumb its nose at the IOC. Yeah. Or like they did with the whole doping scandal around Sochi, they figured they could get away with it. I mean, what? when is the IOC going to accept that Russia is not going to play by the rules when it comes to these things and they need to be more closely monitored and their athletes need to be more closely monitored. And you can't just let all these athletes in under ROC and, oh, it's fine. And they're basically wearing the flag on their uniform. This is no punishment at all. 
Right. And the IOC keeps saying it's punishment because they don't like making hard decisions. We've seen this time and time again. It's so interesting that the Paralympics has made the tough decision to say, no, Russia, you don't get to come. And the fact that the IOC just doesn't want to get messy because it's messy and it's not diplomatic. They want everybody to get along, but Russia's not playing nice. Right. And I do not have any animus towards Camilla Valieva. This is a manipulated child. She's not making these decisions of our own accord. And as we've talked about in American gymnastics, when you are young and you are training like this, you're brainwashed. You are, there's no choice. She could, she is not free to make a choice, even if she knew what she was taking to take it or not take it. So this is not the athlete's fault, which as we all know, anything that is adverse to the athletes makes me crazy. And not that there aren't Russian athletes that choose to dope. There are American athletes that choose to dope. There are European athletes that choose to dope. But in this situation, these skaters and so many Russian athletes do not have the freedom of choice. And that is wrong. And the IOC, once again, is not protecting the athletes. Exactly. And I think we also have a situation where should minors be in the Olympics? Oh, well, we all know how I feel about this. A 15-year-old does not belong on the world stage. The Youth Olympic Games are wrong. We're putting pressure on children and putting children in situations that is rife for abuse and nefarious activities. We're not protecting children right and it's kind of all in the name of well we're we're prepping them for the world stage and the biggest competition level so they get practice and it it just doesn't make sense to me why if we have a youth olympic games now why are minors allowed into the olympics there should be a no you don't get to play and it doesn't matter if you're the best in the world Maybe you need to gauge the rules so that they're geared to adults and not geared towards, oh, you're 14 and you can jump like crazy or you're 15 and you can spin like crazy. And that's better than a more mature body. It's it's not because it's hurting their it's hurting them. And it's not just in these glamour sports like gymnastics and figure skating. I mean, we saw it with Chloe Kim and snowboarding, how she is able to handle this situation now at 21, that she could not handle it at 17. And the long-term effects of that, we've talked a lot, and, and The Price of Gold, that documentary that was done, talks a lot about the damage this pressure is having on these young kids. And a 15-year-old should not be splashed across international newspapers as a cheater. Right. Yeah, it's upsetting. And I mean, we could spend the whole hour talking about this, but we should, we'll, we'll keep you updated on the situation as stuff is hopefully being filed with the Court of Arbitration for Sport. It's been said that it will be, or, and it's been said that it hasn't yet. So I'm not quite sure where we're at in the, the process, but we'll keep you updated. All right, let's move on to today's competition. We start off with alpine skiing. And the skiers are beating the mountain. Finally, the skiers, the skiers are starting to beat the mountain. This is looking so much better. I did watch this. And we'll give the results first, and then we'll, we'll talk a bit more. Gold went to Laura Gutberami from Switzerland. Silver went to Miriam Puchner from Austria. And bronze went to Michelle Giesen from Switzerland. And Michaela Schifrin, who infamously was not able to get down the mountain on her first two competitions, did get down today. And she finished ninth. And she was thrilled with that. She was. And I probably was like most people in the United States, screaming at my television, just get down the gosh darn rootin' tootin' mountain. Gosh we darn. all know those are the words I used because I was alone in my own house, not in front of a microphone. But I was so thrilled for her to just get that monkey off her back. 
And Claire Egan, our biathlete, posted a, a really great thing on Instagram, and I think she posted it on Twitter as well. And she said, we all need to start talking to ourselves the way we've been talking to Michaela Schifrin. You know, you can do this. We are here for you. We are pulling for you. You're going to make it through. And I think it is very interesting, going back to what we said a few minutes ago, the difference in the American coverage of Michaela Schifrin's issues as opposed to Simone Biles in the summer. Really? How has it been? Michaela Schifrin has been getting an outpouring of support. I mean, there's always grumbles and there's always, oh, you know, she's, and she was going to be the golden girl of these games and that has not worked out. And yet the coverage has been almost, what can we do to support Michaela? Whereas Simone Biles, when she dropped out because of, of certain mental health issues, got just vitriol and attacked and she's a, a, a loser and a, and a quitter and all these other things. And I wonder what the difference is. Is it because Simone Biles talked about her mental health issues and we don't know what's going on with Michaela? Is it because Michaela has been over the years much more vulnerable in the press? So we are more inclined to feel for her and feel with her? Was NBC doing things differently? I don't know what the difference is, but I have seen a, a stark contrast. And I'm thrilled for it because it, uh, Michaela deserves the support. See, I would think my memory is that Simone Biles, yes, there was some vitriol, but there was also, once it came out with mental health, there was a lot of people going, hey, this is a mental health issue. And a lot of coverage on why having the twisties was a really bad thing and why it was good for her to pull out. So I think it was... I think Simone may have been the, more of the pioneer in this situation. So, yes, yeah, she got some extra flack, whereas Michaela comes in and is having issues, and we understand more how much these athletes are going through, especially during with the pandemic. And I think we're all kind of at a big breaking point in the pandemic where we're just like, oh, we have to give everybody a break, including ourselves. And I, I think maybe we've just been broken down, all of us. I, I hope it is a growth of society and a growth of the sports press because we all know the sports press are very, very hard on female athletes. And it's nice to see them not attacking Michaela and saying, oh, what's wrong with her? Why is she, you know, she was overblown. She was overpressed. And they're saying, okay, she's got another race. What's she going to do here? Well, and the, yeah, that's a good step forward. I mean, it's like when at the beginning of the Olympics here, when I was at curling and listened to those, the British journalists who were just like, every point is a disaster if they didn't get it right. And that just, I think that sort of <clears throat> taking a superior attitude like that, you know, the armchair quarterback, as we like to call him in the US, I, I think that just lends itself to being more critical with your medium in the press. And then that allows people to, or gives people permission to also hop on that bandwagon of harshing somebody, <laughs> harshing somebody's groove does not sound like a good phrase, but I mean, you know, piling on and just being super critical and trolling and all of that stuff. But I think with these two cases, we're starting to see, there's a way to be critical of somebody's performance in a, in a sense. Well, critical is not even the right word, but there's a way to understand why people have a bad day and that athletes are human. They're going to have bad days. They're going to have bad races. But the, the thing about being an Olympian is how you pick yourself back up again and go down and be your best. And Michaela did that. And I'm so, so pleased for her. And she's still got the team competition, so we'll see her again. All right, excellent. Moving over to biathlon, we had the women's 7.5-kilometer sprint today. Gold went to Marta Oldsbull-Roisland from Norway. Silver went to Elvira Oberg from Sweden. And bronze went to Dorothea Vera from Italy. I saw this on the feed. I spent a lot of time in the media center today because it was work. I, well, I woke up late. 
I locked myself out of my room. Without, oh no! Without a mask. <laughs> had to go down, get a new key. They gave it with my, my turtleneck over my face. Because I, it, this was a... I had 15 minutes to get breakfast before breakfast closed. And I just grabbed my phone and my wallet. And the key situation is it's it's one of those hotel rooms where you put your key by the, the doorway. You to, there's a slot to, to turn on the lights. So... I forgot to pull that out and I do have a habit of leaving the room with no mask on being in the hallway and going, Oh, I got to put a mask on and going back into the room. So, and they're right there by the door. I have them all piled up. They're right there. I see them all the time and it's just like, Oh, oh no, do 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 do. I'm just going to breakfast, going to get my COVID test. So yeah, I walked out of the room, the door shuts and it's like, you don't have your key. And then I'm like, you don't have a mask. So put my turtleneck over my face. But go down, get another key. Get in. Now I have a backup key, which is nice. And then I go to get breakfast, which meant I got behind on work today. And I watched a lot of stuff on the feed. Watching the feed here, nothing has sound. Oh, dear. So, I mean, there's there's multiple streams going on. So you can't have sound with like three or four different events on different TVs in the, the room. So it's exciting to watch stuff, but you lose some of the thrill, especially if you don't know what's going on. And so I'll have like the feed on plus my plus the my info system that we have access to. And you probably have this on through Olympics.com at home. And so I could watch like the live shooting going on at the same time and or, or live timing if something is happening. So yeah, I had to watch this on the feed. And by athlete, uh, our Shuklastani Claire Egan, not a great day on the sprint. This is not a race where you can make mistakes. And uh, she missed one sh one shot in prone and two in standing. And that was just, even the prone, you're kind of, if you miss one, you you could be out of it. So she finished 46th and was in the penalty loop quite a bit there. The shooting seemed to be tough. And when I looked at the weather reports, it, it was cold, not super, I mean, cold. It was like 17 degrees Fahrenheit. So it was negative three or four Celsius, something like that. So it was cold, but not like super bitter. And the wind wasn't, didn't seem to be that strong, but it did bounce around a little bit. So maybe that had something to do with it because only 13 athletes shot clean out of 89. And that's, that's a crazy day. The good thing though, that is that Claire, along with the three other Americans qualified for the pursuit race, which it's really rare for all four Americans to qualify. So it's a big deal here. So that race is on Sunday. Marta just... She is just amazing. And Elvira Oberg is young. She's still in the under 25 category. And she is so fast this year on her skis. And it's sometimes to the detriment of her shooting. But she, she pulled it all out today and put together a great race. And super excited for Dorothea Vera because this is her third Olympics. And she's got medals with her team. But this is her first individual medal. And she really wanted it. I have a theory and it goes with Alpine and it goes with some of the biathlon races. And I wonder if, because you know how silver medalists are like, Oh, I lost gold and bronze medalists are like, I made it to the podium. I got a medal. I wonder if races that are you against the clock, the silver medalists are happier because they don't necessarily know how they do in the, the lineup. Does that make sense? Yes, I understand. So the idea is when you are racing against a clock versus racing against a person, mm -hmm. you don't know where you're going to end up. Right. And so when you see that silver medal come up, it's, oh, yay, look, I got on the podium. I'm a silver medalist. As opposed to, oh, that person inched me out. I see them just a point, you know, just a second ahead of me. Exactly. Because I noticed this in the like the Super G competition, and I've noticed this in some of the biathlon things. These silver medalists have just been so excited to be on the podium. And it's just, it's great to see. I don't know. 
know. There was a huge on NPR. I remember they did on one of the shows, and I will look this up and post it in the Facebook group about how bronze medalists are much more satisfied with their result than silver medalists. Yeah, because they overall. But I don't know if they did that distinction between uh, the different kinds of races. Yeah, so I'd be I'd be curious about that. Let's move over to cross country. We had the men's 15 kilometer classic race today. Oh, the Niskanen house. Man, oh man. Listener Manu, you should let us know how things are in Finland and if people are, are really excited and are celebrating these wins because Finland pulled it out again. Ivo Niskano won gold and uh, silver went to Alexander Bolsonov from ROSE and bronze went to Johannes Hussel-Klebo from Norway. So I think it's really funny. So on the first race, Ivo Niskanen wins a bronze. Then the next day, his sister, Kertu, wins a silver. He comes back today and wins a gold. So you see sibling <laughs> rivalry just in its all its glory. Kertu is back tomorrow. So I have her in my fantasy league <laughs> because I think sibling rivalry is going to push her to the gold. I am making a note. All right, moving over to curling, we had more men's and women's action. For the men, it was uh, Switzerland beat ROC 6-3. USA beat Great Britain 9-7. Go Team Schuster. Sweden beat Italy 9-3. China beat Denmark 5-4. ROC beat Denmark 10-2. Great Britain beat Norway 8-3. And Switzerland beat Canada 5-3. The, so the standings for the men are uh, Sweden is the only one that's undefeated still at 3-0. Canada, Great Britain, Switzerland, USA are all 2-1. ROC is 2-2. Two two. China and Norway are 1-2. And, and Italy and Denmark both have no wins. And everybody's at different stages in the games. In the women's round robin, USA beat China 8-4. Japan beat Canada 8-5. Ooh, that must have been a match. Uh, Switzerland beat ROC 8-7, and Korea defeated Great Britain 9-7. Let's go garlic, girls. That's right. For the women, Switzerland and the U.S. are undefeated with three and or three wins, zero losses. Canada and Denmark and Japan and Korea and Sweden are all 1-1. One one. Great Britain is 1-2, and, and ROC and China have yet to get a win. Moving over to ice hockey, we had a uh, men's preliminary round action. ROC beat Denmark 2 to 0. Czech Republic defeated Switzerland 2 to 1. Finland beat Latvia 3 to 1 and Sweden beat Slovakia 4 to 1. We also had quarterfinals playoffs for the women's tournament. Canada beat Sweden 11 to 0. Ouch. And the US beat the Czech Republic four to one so a lot of hockey going on i'd like to get back out and see some as best we have to wait for the other set of quarterfinals to get the semifinal games set well let's take a break to talk about a red envelope campaign this show does cost a lot of money to produce and while you all have been extremely generous in supporting us through our kickstarter campaign that got us here to beijing and also through patreon patronage we're coming up on two and a half years to another olympics so to celebrate the Lunar New Year, we're asking for donations of at least $8 to help us get through to Paris 2024. We know our listenership can be cyclical, so this money will help get us through the lean times until we get to the next Olympics. And the $8 is because uh, 8 is a lucky number here in China, symbolizing good fortune. So if you appreciate the work that we do, please uh, take a moment and support us. Go to flamealivepod.com slash support to donate. And we should say that if people want to donate $800, that would be okay too. <laughs> no donation is too small or too large. And we are so incredibly grateful to all the people who have participated in the Red Envelope campaign. Yes, we really appreciate everything you've done for us. Moving over to Skeleton, we had women's heats and we had the men's competition finish. Gold went to Christopher Grossier from Germany. Silver went to Axel Jung from Germany. And bronze went to Yang Wingan from China. And apparently he only started sliding a few years ago after China was awarded the games. 
Good for him. So he was one of those. They, they China recruited a whole bunch of athletes for these sports that they didn't really have participation in. And Yang Wengang was one of those athletes. And here he is on the medal stand and skeleton. So that's really exciting. And also, shockingly, given how much Germany dominates in luge, they have never medaled in men's skeleton before. That's really interesting. But I wonder if just the tradition of luge and people always went to that because that was where the the medals were until 2002. And then they had to build a program when skeleton came in. You would think, oh, I'm sliding down the ice just head first or feet first. What's a big deal? I think it's a big deal because there's a lot of different skills that each of those disciplines needs that are, are very precise to that sport. So... I bet it's just taken Germany a while to build up a program. Right. And that's something that we talk, we've talked about a lot in this Olympics with building a program. It, you can be as talented as anything. You can be as talented as Michael Phelps. But if you don't have a sliding track, if you don't have somebody to build your sled, if you don't have a wax tech that is experienced, you're not going to end up on the podium. It takes a village. <laughs> Doesn't it take, it does, it really does take a village. Moving over to the ski jumping hill, we had qualifications for the men's large hill individual competition. They narrowed a field of 56 competitors down to 50. So qualifying at the top, we have Marius Lindvik from Norway, Halvor Egner Grunerund from Norway, Peter Previch from Slovenia, Stefan Kraft from Austria, and Danielle Sadriv from ROC. Big names also in this competition are Camille Stok from Poland, who is sitting in eighth, Ryoyo Kobayashi from Japan, who is in ninth, and Simone Amen from Switzerland, who is 24th. And okay, so I didn't realize this because I just know Simone Amen's name. Every time the Olympics comes around, like, oh, Simone Amen, the big ski jumper, he's 40 years old. I, I didn't realize this is his seventh games. He's been in since uh, Nagano 1998. Or, yeah. And he is celebrated in this sport because he was the first person to sweep both events in two games. He won the golds for both the Large Hill and the Norma Hill in 2002, and then again in 2010. So, I mean, he's just a master of the sport. And I just didn't realize, like, a whole decade or decade and a half went by without me knowing it. Right. So if I'm doing my math right, that would mean he was 16. Yeah. He was really young when he started. And now, so he was obviously a teenage phenom and here he is still at 40 years old and ski jumping seems to allow for this. We see a lot of ski jumpers going. I mean, Camille Stoke is, is no spring chicken either. Right. In terms of going to multiple, multiple, multiple games. So that's, do you think you're going to get out to ski jump at all? I, I did see some of it in an earlier qualification. I don't know if I'll get to see another finals, mostly because all of the events seem to run concurrently. They're either out at the snow park early in the morning, or they're all at the same time on the other side in the Nordic cluster kind of thing. Okay, so I will be sure to watch this final so that we can we can get some details on it. Okay, excellent. And Simone Amon, not without injury, he's had a couple of concussions and had like a big comeback from something else. So this is pretty impressive that he is still able to uh, compete at this level. Moving over to snowboard, we had the men's halfpipe final runs. Oh, this seemed like a competition, man. This was great. I got to, I watched this mostly on uh, CCTV here in my hotel room. So I got a little commentary, but I don't know what they said because it was in Chinese. Well, I can tell you some of the commentary from here in the United States. So Todd Richards, who is the NBC analyst, lost his mind after run two because Scotty James, the Australian, was scored higher than Ayumu Hirano. In run two. And in run two, Hirano did the first triple cork ever completed in the Olympic Games. Maybe even, he's the only one who's ever done it in competition. Three turns, three flips, this thing is insane. But he was scored below Scotty James. 
by four out of the six judges. So it wasn't just the American or the Australian or the Japanese judge out of whack. The whole panel was, according to Todd Richards, out of whack. So lost his mind, spent a lot of time talking about it. And then when Hirano drops in for his third run, because he was sitting in second place, he's saying, yeah, stick it to those judges. You show him, Hirano, why you should have been scored higher before. Don't let them beat you down. It was wonderful. And I I love when the commentators drop the mask. <laughs> and it wasn't an anti-Scotty James thing. He he was very supportive of, of James throughout the competition. He was angry at the judges for what he saw as unfair placement. Interesting. Well, Ayumi Hirano did pull out the victory. He from Japan. He is from got the gold medal. Scotty James from Australia got the silver. Jan Scherer from Switzerland won bronze, and Sean White from the USA finished fourth in his final run. And it was the I think the sad thing about this is he had had a couple of good runs, and then the last one he crashed out. He hit his board hit the the lip of the the pipe, and he couldn't recover from that. And that's that's tough. That your last run is going to be a not so great one but he's he put it in he put in the work he's put in a massive career and he was ready to hand off the torch he was sitting in fourth going into that final run so he was really going for some big big tricks in that last run which is how you want to see sean white go out going for the big tricks not playing it safe and as they were showing him after the run, you could see it slowly dawn on him that his career was over. And, you know, at first he's laughing and then he's crying and then he's sort of still and then he's talking to the other competitors. And you could just see the waves of emotion rolling over his face. And it was really beautiful because we've watched Sean White for a very long time. You know, he's 35 now. We saw him as a wild, crazy kid. And, and to see that development, because it's I feel like I know him because he's been so much a part of the Winter Olympics for so long and such a figure in, in American pop culture. And to see that, it was, I felt like I was sharing it with him, which made it really special. So he was crying. I was crying. You know, I had my puffs so the IOC can be happy with me. I wasn't using another kind of tissue. It was, it was a great competition. And more importantly, some of these tricks, holy cannoli. It was amazing. I'm still kind of in awe of the amplitude because that's what I can see. And I, without having a commentator telling me what the trick is, they, when they spin, they all kind of look alike to me still. You know, I don't get to see much half pipe. So I'm really impressed with just how high they go and how much they spin and how fast they can spin. It's just death-defying indeed. So NBC has an amplitude meter for each of the jumps. Mm -hmm. So they tell you. That's an Omega thing because that's from the OBS feed. Yes. And there were they were talking 20 feet off the lip. It's incredible. It's incredible. You have a note about Louis Vito. I do have a note about Louis Vito. So Louis Vito, who was a snowboarder who competed for the United States in 2010, was back this time competing for Italy. He ended up finishing 13th in the prelim, which is just outside the 12-person final. And I mention this because we've been talking a lot about country shopping and going to different countries. And I figured out why Louis Vito competing for Italy or Gus Kenworthy, who is an American athlete who's going to be competing for Great Britain this time around, doesn't bother me. But Eileen Gu competing for China does. It's because I am evaluating their intentions. And when the intention of country shopping feels selfish or opportunistic, that bothers me. When it feels like I'm trying to end my career or I'm trying to start a program in another country or there's some altruistic aspect to it, it doesn't bother me. And also how deep the connections are with the shopped country. So for example, Gus Kenworthy was born in the UK. He has a very strong connection to the country. The UK would probably not be sending another athlete in his place. He's doing something that the UK wouldn't have a rep for. So that doesn't bother me at all. 
Eileen Gu bothers me because it felt like she was following the money. See, I think that's interesting that you say that because I see Louis Vito, and I this is just going off of what you wrote here because I, I haven't followed it at all, but <clears throat> competed for the U.S. in 2010, wanted to compete again. See, when when... You say that, oh, they just want to finish out their careers and retire. That, to me, is a selfish reason for country shopping. I want to finish out my career, and I want to do it in a place. Oh, I can't finish it out in my own country because it's too competitive, and I'm not good enough anymore. So I'm going to go shop for a country that's not as competitive and get in that way. And that's what Gus Kenworthy is doing, too. And sure, he's got a really good tie to Britain, but he's he's competing for Britain because there's no competition. He's... He's the one that's able to do it. I see Eileen Gu as, yeah, it's opportunistic, but I see her as having ties to China and having a big, strong tie, especially when she can speak the language very well. So I, I, I'm curious. It's interesting the, the way you think about that. And also definitely a factor is, are they taking a spot from somebody else? And I, I, I don't think, I don't know much about the, the half pipe or no i'm sorry i don't know much about the teams that eileen because she's competing in multiple sports here but i think she is helping to build a program in a sense and even if it's just inspiring others to pick up the sport because they don't have the winter sports tradition here and she's able to put them on the map fair enough yeah it's it's a complicated issue and i'm yelling at myself to say i can't judge their motivations and yet I am. And that's why it's bothering me so much. And so I need to take that out of my own head and say, as a fan, that's not fair. That's not fair to judge their motivations positively or negatively. I understand that NBC has some feed beef competition from NHK in Japan, because I saw this in the New York Times. And maybe Roy Tomizawa can clarify. NHK was running just the halfpipe competition live. And they had scheduled news and weather to come on at a certain time. And it cut right out to news and weather when Ayuma Hirano's final run was going to start. So they moved, they had moved the feed over to a sub channel and everybody's screen went like, oh, you've got to go to the sub channel now. And everybody is like so angry because they all ended up missing the run live by the time they, but you know, you got to get the remote and find the right channel. It was done. Japan, I feel you. <laughs> and he's a huge star. I mean, this is not some unknown kid. Right. So, and there was, I mean, it was one of those, like, they had this previously scheduled. This was all blocked out, not really knowing what would happen and knowing that they would need extra time to cover their star athlete. Oops. Uh, let's move over to the speed skating track. First in long track, we had the men's 10,000 meters. Nils Vanderpol from Sweden won uh, another medal here. Set a world record, which it's a big deal because this is a sea level world record. Most of the world records tend to get set at altitude because there's uh, less air. They can move a little faster there. So it's a huge deal that he's done so well here. He beat out Patrick Rust from Netherlands who won the silver. You know what? I'm not going to say it like that. Patrick Roost from Netherlands won the silver and David Giotto from Italy won bronze. And this gold silver is a repeat. So Patrick Roost is going to be really mad now. Number one, he's Dutch. And if he didn't win the gold, then he's going to be mad because the Netherlands put so much pressure on these speed skaters. But Nils van der Poel is a joy to watch skate and a joy to watch celebrate too. <laughs> right. If you don't want to, because 10,000 is a long time. Mm-hmm. It is a long race. It's sort of like that swim racing where they go to commercial and come back and they're oh, still swimming. Right. This is the same thing. So on the feed, find Nils Vanderbilt and watch his coaches celebrate. Oh, nice. Over on the over on the short track, we had uh, several different races. The women's 1,000 ended up with it, having its full final run. Then we had heats for the men's 500 and semifinals for the men's 5,000-meter five, 5, relay. I was there for most of this session, so this was a lot of fun. Again, I was in a little funk today because, again, got locked out of my hotel room, thanks to my own brilliance. And 
was just in a funk and moving slow all day. And I said, what's going to get me out of a funk? Short track. And it did. In the women's 1,000, Suzanne Schulting from Netherlands won gold. Choi Ming-jung from Korea won silver. And Hanno Desmet from Belgium won bronze. First medal for Belgium in short track. Excellent. Uh, this was The whole night was exciting. I ended up in the press tribune kind of at the top of the, the getting into the nosebleeds. But I was sitting by the commentators. More importantly, I was sitting by Asian commentators that I believed were Korean because they were so animated and so excited during these races. It was so much fun. And Ming Jiang Choi is was one of those criers yes. when she finished her race. She just fell apart, I hope out of joy and not out of disappointment because she skated a beautiful race, several beautiful races to get to the final and then a beautiful race in the final. I, I noticed her uh, tears and I did hope that they were for, of joy because Schulting just edged her out. And so I don't know if she was upset that she lost this race. And that made me think of my theory of being an individual running against the clock is, is that better than competing against people? So I, I hope it's happy or I hope it's happy in the finals. Uh, sad to say your girl, Ariana Fontana from Italy, she got a penalty for an illegal lane change. So she got her results were nullified. I don't think they call it a disqualification, but she just, that's it. She, she doesn't get to finish. She ended up falling and Kristen Santos from the USA went down as well on that. Kristen got up and finished fourth in this race. Kristen, a girl from Fairfield, Connecticut, right next door to me. So she's been getting a lot of press in the local news. And it was it was hard to watch her go down. Mm, yeah, it really was. It really was. I know that the fans, that we've got some listeners who are real big fans of Mame Baini, who is an American who skated in the 1000 meter. And she made it into the semis and into the B final. But in a, in a couple of her races, she just, this happens, I think, a bunch in short track, where if they know they're not going to be in the mix at the end, they kind of pull up and take it easy. And I, I'm very curious as to why that happens, and hopefully we can get a short track on, or a short, hopefully we can get a short track skater on to talk about that and talk about that strategy. If I had to guess, and we all know I love to speculate, I'm going to say two things. One, if they're saving themselves for a later race. Mm -hmm. Or two, if they are preventing themselves from getting involved in somebody else's crash at the front. Well, I think those are two good theories. So hopefully we can find out. If anybody knows, let us know. But that's what I saw in my mommy's races, that she just kind of held back after a while. The last couple of laps or so it was just like, oh, okay. You're not going to try to push it. Because I also wonder if you're... I want to know what the distance is for being far enough behind to know that you're not going to be able to catch up because that track is so short and you're moving so fast in the curves. How hard is it to accelerate and get yourself back into the big pack? In the men's 5,000, the relay, again, people all over the place. And the cone guys started getting... They had a lot of work to do. In a relay, the cone manu the cone replacement is just that's tough. That is really tough because there are skaters all over the place. They've got to come in and get the cones. And I thought at some point one of the athletes is going to accidentally push the cone guy and they're gonna suddenly have their own relay. And then I realized it would be okay because they could probably hang. Yeah, they'll just be part of the the team. Oh, we've recruited you. Hey, it's like country shopping. You race for <laughs> Netherlands now. <laughs> what they need is a little all the all the suits have the country acronym on the the calf area. We need the track team to have like track on the track on their calf area just in case they can be ready. Just in case. Cone kid. <laughs> All right, let's check out to see what Shook Flaston is up to. These are our people who are on Team Keep the Flame Alive, past guests of the show, who are now citizens of our country, Shook Flaston. What's going on? 
so we talked about Claire Egan. So she will compete in the next the pursuit on Sunday. We talked about Team Schuster beating Great Britain. They will be back tomorrow against Norway. And Josh Williamson has landed and is in the village. He's going to be starting training tomorrow. And also landing in Beijing is Shiva Keshevan, who is a candidate for the IOC Athletes Commission. So I'm getting some great photos and pictures of our uh, Shukvastanis in the wild. Excellent. We would like to thank our Kickstarter location scouts today, Erica C. and Chris O'Reilly. Special note to you location scouts. I will probably be sending your postcards between, or I will be writing your postcards between the Olympics and Paralympics because I don't know what's going to happen. They're not letting you out. I don't. I have asked what's going to happen and I've gotten no response so far. So here's the deal. We can't travel. We can't leave the closed loop. Or if we leave the closed loop, we have to go home and that just, and then come back and going through all the procedure again, we said, no way. So I'm just staying here. Well, the media center closes at midnight on the final day of the game. So after the closing ceremonies, you have until midnight, media center closes and it's closed for a week while they transfer it or change it over to the Paralympics. And I said, well, what happens during that week? And right now, as far as I know, I'm going to be in my hotel room or maybe I will check out the gym. Or go to the restaurant for another meal other than breakfast and do some laundry if I can get my hands on some laundry soap. But I think I will have plenty of time to write some postcards. And the line at the post office should be shorter. I don't think I can get here. I don't, I really don't know. I don't know if the post office will be open because, well, the whole media center will be closed. So... You'll just be hiding out sadly in your hotel room, pining for Bing Dwen Wen. That's right. So we shall see. But thank you, Location Scouts. We really appreciate your support. And speaking of mascots, today is our last day with Luna. Oh, beautiful chat from listener Beth. So special thanks to listener Beth for sharing Luna with us and for supporting our Kickstarter campaign. Tomorrow we will have a new mascot. That will be debuting on social media and in the newsletter and on the show. Luna, thank you for your mascotting ways. I love the picture in the newsletter, by the way. <laughs> that was great. That one was great today. And uh, if you don't subscribe to our newsletter, it's coming out daily now. It comes out weekly after the games are over. Go to flamealifepod.com and uh, scroll down to the bottom. That's where the newsletter sign up is. That will do it for this episode. Tune in again tomorrow for more action from Beijing. I'm going to ice dancing. Going to ice dancing. Get ready. Skater enjoyment factor. I am going to be on fire with that. And if you want to see what Jill is up to and celebrate the games with us, be sure to join our Keep the Flame Alive Facebook group. It's the place to hang out with us and our other listeners. Jill is on Twitter. I am on Insta and both are at Flame Alive Pod. You can email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. We will catch you back here tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening, and until then, keep the flame alive.